Guys, you know we have some great sponsors on our show that have all sorts of great deals that we want you to take advantage of. But if you're driving or cooking or changing a diaper, it's hard to write down all the information and you wish you could have remembered the code. That's right. But we got your backs. Go to whatfreshhellpodcast.com and click on promo codes right at the top and you'll see a list of all our sponsors and all the special deals they offer to our listeners. Plus, whenever you visit our sponsors, you let them know you're listening, which is great for the show. So thanks. Boy Scouts is on you. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. If we're really going to get into the thank you contest, I'm owed a few. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Mom's always yelling and crazy. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I don't think I have anything to do right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about changing the invisible workload. We like this topic. Yeah. We've explored it before. It was 100 episodes, 109 episodes ago. We talked about dividing the workload. And I'm wondering, how's it going, Margaret? Has it changed for you? Is it all good now? (laughs) I mean, I have said this before. I feel like a unique situation in this, in that my husband works from home. And when my kids were little, our 24-hour day fight was, I do everything, you do nothing. And now we have evened out to the point where I think my husband does a little bit more than me. And it's an unusual situation. Mm. With that being said, the invisible workload is still very much a part of it. And the like, I carry more of the mental stress, 100% true still. There's just always, so like the invisible workload, I think everybody listening knows exactly what we're talking about. But just in case you don't, Let's define it. It's the stuff that we do as moms, whether we work outside the home or not, you know, no matter what the working, not working situation is in your house, who's making sure there's wrapping paper in the closet? Who remembered that every other Tuesday it's early homeroom? Who knows that the goalie gloves are looking a little worn and we need to have a new pair for the tournament next weekend? Who does that in your house, Margaret? A lot of it is me. Okay. Not 100%, but a lot of it. Well, yeah. I mean, my husband is more naturally organized than I am. So we have basically broken down to my husband does mornings and I do afternoon and dinner. So when it comes to like, who's got this activity and dinner, and definitely we constantly still have the conversation that like, my husband has a lot of magical thinking around time. So we definitely have the conversation of like, okay, we'll do that Monday night. I'm like, we're going to do that before daughter goes to theater class and son goes to CCD and the other two people, you know, it's just like the magical thinking part of it and the like big picture part of it that like, if we're two months out from summer, that means we need to start thinking about camp now never crosses his mind. Like last night I was sitting on the couch with my youngest daughter because I was like, oh wait, she wears uniforms. And just to make it like super double complicated. They were two different uniforms. Don't ask me why. So they have like a spring and fall uniform and a winter uniform that involves different color skirts. Okay. And sure, last night I was like, when do we switch to winter uniform? And then at least because my daughter is very organized, she's like, should I go get them and make sure they still fit me? I'm like, yes. So this is you know 930 last night. She's trying on the uniforms from last year. Surprise, they don't fit. None of them fit at all. 
she needs to start wearing them like next week. And I had to, you know, get out a measuring tape and super overnight in these uniforms to get here in time. And, you know, like my husband was like already like asleep for the night at that point. And it's not his fault. He doesn't know. Right. He's like getting his V's, visions of sugar plums dancing in his head while you've got the measuring tape out. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, ah, I, you know, super triple overnight. Yeah, it's not his fault. It's situational. But the fact that that's invisible fills me with rage and he doesn't even know it's happening. Right. And if it's not visible. So we have a guest this week, Margaret. This seems like a good point to bring up that this week's guest is Eve Rodsky. She is the author of the new book, Fair Play, a game changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. This is a great book and I recommend it to all you guys. And you'll hear more in the interview, but I wanted to say that right now because Eve says that visibility equals value. And I think that's it. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to be now like resentful today that my husband doesn't even know that while he was asleep last night, I stayed up dealing with the winter uniforms and it's not his fault. He doesn't know. It's not his fault. That's invisible to him. But how do I like make that visible to him? Like follow him around with a wooden spoon and say, do you know that last night I stayed up? Like, I don't quite know how to make it visible. I've said this before on the podcast. It's like, it sometimes feels like the only two roads are resentment or nagging. Like either I do it myself and I hate your face or I nag you to do it. And I'm the shrewish wife who you find annoying. Like, and I do think that dynamic is so present all the time and that there is a solution in it. I also think the anxiety set points of my husband and I are completely different. And like that rabbit brain in me, that's like, da, 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 we haven't read out loud. Oh, the kids aren't reading enough. They're watching too much screens. Like he just does not have that constant loop playing in his head, which is like da, 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 winter uniforms, what is coming up? Da, da, da. And like <laughs> that stress and anxiety that I feel all the time defining that as his fault is problematic quicksand. Right. And yet it is a problem that you undertake all of that. And it doesn't matter what I have going on tomorrow. If I have a meeting, if I'm doing this, it still does fall on us. I don't know. It's a complicated one. But what I will say from experience, and Eve says the same thing in her book that, you know, step one is sort of making the list, like, here's all the stuff that I do that you don't even know about, right? Like, we need to make the invisible visible if we're going to change it. But sort of saying, do you see all of this? It makes us really mad. I'm going to quote Gloria Steinem here and say, Oh, go straight to the feminist icon. Amy. I like it. Gloria said that the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> And I feel like that's where I can get stuck, right? Like I get stuck in the pissed off, like, do you see all this stuff that I do? And that's the truth. And it is the truth. But getting stuck in feeling angry and self-righteous about it or resentful about it, it adds bad feeling and doesn't really change things. So I got to go further. Yeah. And it leads to the biggest quicksand in my marriage, which is like me constantly rolling my eyes at my husband and talking to him like he's a moron. Like it doesn't, that's not how we started off. You know, it's not like we were out on dates, you know, 12 years ago with me being like, really? You don't know that it's just that language comes in because it just feels like things that he does and says are just an affront to me because he does not see what I'm doing. I was on a plane recently and I do think that this is like a universal thing. I was looking around me at the women on the plane and the men on the plane. 
This was a sort of evening flight. There were no kids. It was like a sort of, I guess it was a New York, Chicago run. There was one group of people that was napping, <laughs> watching a movie on their phone. I love the way you say napping. You're so mad. Okay. Ordering a cocktail. Sure. Hanging out. Mm-hmm. Enjoying the friendly skies. Yep. Enjoying the friendly skies. <laughs> there was another group of people that was like on their laptops, you know, doing the spreadsheet, the thing, organizing the papers, like using this downtime, two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. This downtime from New York to Chicago as the chance to finally accomplish all the things. I think spoiler alert, I know who was who. And this admittedly small sampling, <laughs> right? Who was using this quote unquote free time Okay. To accomplish 100 more things that they never get to do. And who was using this free time chill out? To watch Get Out on their phones. Can you guess? It was the men folk who were relaxing. Yeah. And this was a business flight. I mean, like I said, it wasn't like this flight is only for business people. But I mean, that's who was around me. Yeah. Timing wise and stuff. Yeah. It was people in business attire coming on with, you know, their laptop bags and then not taking them out unless they were female. And it really spoke to me like, wow, why do the women on this flight feel like, oh my God, I have so much to do that they can't ever just step off. Relax. Okay. So what is that? What is going on there? It's the invisible workload, right? Like it's like, oh, now's my chance. I mean, I would never, I like getting on a plane and watching a movie and having the laptop out, right? Because that's when I like organize the photos, right? <laughs> do the filing, you know, my like virtual filing, like put all the label, all the 2018 tax stuff, 2018, like go through unsubscribe from email newsletters. I mean, like I do that stuff on planes and I do enjoy being productive. Like being productive makes me happy, but there is never a time when I would sit there and be like, I don't think I have anything to do right now. I have nothing to plan. I have nothing to organize. I have nothing to put to bed. There's always a project I'm either ramping up for or ramping down from. Mm -hmm. And I would never just sit there and do nothing. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that I seemed to share that trait with the other women on the plane. With the other lady. Mm -hmm. So hit me with some statistics around the invisible workload. Okay. Well, one thing that I think is interesting is that we, men and women both, sort of buy into this idea that we're better at multitasking, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, these men, they could never do what we do anyway. They could never juggle all these things. We're made this way and they're not all poor them, right? You could come up with some meme about how feeble-minded they are, that they only think of one thing at a time. Ha, ha, ha. Right. Turns out that's not true, that I'll give you a quote from Dr. Pat Levitt. He's a professor of neurogenetics, so he knows the brain. He says, I don't know of any research that shows that women are better multitaskers than men. In fact, multitasking is bad for everyone because our brains are not built to deal with more than one complex thing at a time. And yet here I was just talking about like multitasking on a plane and how that's my superpower. I think I have bought into the idea that I am better at it than other people. And if I'm juggling, it's because I'm supposed to. and It's my job. Yes, I think that's true. I agree with that, both in the macro and microcosms of the world that like women in general have this feeling of like, if not us, then who? And you particularly have like a very type A personality that's like, I will make a list and get it done. And that will make everything turn out okay, you know? And so I think I don't want to take the only approach of like, this is nonsense, let it go. That's not true at all. Like the idea of like your kids 
will not have winter uniforms if you don't figure that out and measure them at 10 o'clock at night. Like, that's the problem. Like, you can't just be like, let it go and let everyone have a turn. But I do think that, like, talking about it and having conversations around it that are effective with your spouse are important. And I do also think that telling yourself the story of like, well, I guess I'll have to get this done because blah, 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 blah. Like also not totally true. Like I think if my husband was describing my life, he would say, well, she has a lot more downtime than I do. You know, like I'm very stressed at work all day. His job is extremely difficult, taxing and stressful. And so he sees me sometimes during the day, like watching a movie on my phone while I'm folding the laundry. Like I'm sure that doesn't seem He's probably like, your life is so much less stressful than mine. So why are you running around all the time like a chicken with your head cut off? And so it's like both of these things are actually true. But I think the idea of like invisibility in terms of like, I have to keep all of these schedules in mind. Like when the backpacks barf out 4,000 forms that are like the zoo trip is coming up and the Boy Scout hike. And are you doing this? And are you doing that? That like for us, what we have found really effective is literally dividing the workload. Like I will just sit my husband down and say, Boy Scouts is on you. Anything that has to do with that going forward is yours to handle. And then, of course, I'm like, uh, I think you forgot about the Boy Scout thing. And I'm kind of still seeing it from the corner and like coaching a little bit. But we have just so often had the conversation of like your family's birthdays are your responsibility. And the fact of the matter is my husband is not good at birthdays and often blows past them. And I find it like I wake up at three o'clock in the morning being like, we didn't do anything for that person's birthday, but I've got to let go of that one. That's my husband's responsibility and he's not doing it, but I can't do birthdays for 36 people. So sorry, if you're on my husband's side of the family, I'm sorry that you didn't get a gift, but like his bad, not my bad. Yeah. The problem is like, how do you like, do you put that in a newsletter? How do you make sure everybody else knows that it's not your bad? I passively aggressively mention it at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm like, we've got a great new system of dividing. Well, it's so funny because my husband's wife clearly started doing this at some point and like the quality of our gifts went steeply downhill. Like you could just almost chart on a graph like what day she turned to him and was like, I'm not getting your sister's birthday presents anymore because like suddenly like you would get like a beautiful purse and then the next year you would get like a stack of playing cards and you're like, oh, right. She had the talk with him where she's not doing the gifts anymore. Like you can just plot it on a graph. Girl, I see you, right? Yeah, I see you. I see what happened there. Well, I'm impressed by that. Like I haven't been able to do that very successfully in my household. And I think it's because the whole idea that you're in charge, you know, I admire that. I have not been able to do that very effectively. And I think it's because part of the problem is the idea that you're in charge of knowing that there are birthday presents and you handle this and you handle Boy Scouts and you handle that. Like even that can be problematic, that you're in charge of knowing what the tasks are and then delegating some of them. Like that's also invisible workload, like thinking of the things that you would like somebody else to do besides you is also work. Oh, for sure. Giving out the assignments is part of it. Yes. And it's extremely problematic. And that's why I really like this book, Fair Play, because Eve Rodsky really has a system for how you're going to approach this together and take things on that involves a lot of front loading by you, but it could really lead to some real change. I think it makes sense to me. So we'll be back with Eve right after this. 
Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those Bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have Bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no toe seam. <laughs> and there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, Amy. That's an assignment for <laughs> okay. you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say. Fun and highly intense. But Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Health podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 30, 30. You will get free full access to the entire Beachbody On Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting LAUGHING to 303030. 30, 30. Check it out. Today's guest is Eve Rodsky, author of the new book, Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. Fair Play offers a system for rebalancing the domestic work between partners and putting an end to the invisible work that women do, whether we work outside the home or not. And Fair Play has just been announced as Reese Witherspoon's book club pick for October. Eve Rodsky, thanks for talking to us. So great to be here. Tell me how old your kids are. You have three, is that right? Yes, I have uh, Zach, who's just turned 11, Benjamin, who's just turned eight, and Anna, the baby, she's just turned three. Wow. And you managed to get this book done. You were just telling me before we started that it was seven years of research went into this book? Yes, seven years of research from when I received a text from my husband that started this whole thing. So I'm happy to tell you about that. <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> Sometimes they say research is me search, right? So I started this as looking for a solution for myself. I guess seven years of research, but I would like to say that I was born to write this book because I'm a product of a single mother and I had a firsthand view of what it looked like for one person to try to do it all. And that meant helping her with late utility bills and managing eviction notices that came when she was working nights. And from an early age, I vowed that this would not be me, that I would have a true partner in life. And Amy, I did. I had that true partner. I married that true partner. We're killing it in business and life. He helped me secure my dream job in philanthropy. 
I'm a lawyer, so I helped him mark up his operating agreements as he grew his business. We took turns doing dishes. We took turns doing the laundry. It felt really fair. Well, cut to two kids later, seven years ago, and I find myself sobbing on the side of the road over a text my husband sent me. And that text just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And I remember thinking to myself, well, what I was really thinking was, you know, if my marriage is going to end, it should be over something way more dramatic, like an affair with an NFL player. But what I was really thinking was, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even manage a grocery list when I used to be able to manage a team of employees. So you internalized that instead of saying, why didn't you remember the blueberries? You, and I'm not surprised, but you did. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. I was, of course, like, why don't you get the blueberries and super defensive. But I think at that point, I talk about this in the book that women have a lot of it's on me messaging. I heard it all over this country and I fell in it too. I had a lot of my husband makes more money than me. So even though my career is valuable, I should still be the one who picks up the blueberries. And so when I didn't do it, I felt like I was failing. And then I also felt super resentful because why was all of this household and domestic crap falling on me, right? All of it. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't have because I am somebody who's trained to use my voice. I'm a lawyer. I am somebody who from a young age, from a single mother household, decided this was not going to happen to me. And it still did. And so the first thing that you did, which I think is where what we've been talking about, too, is that you need to make the work list visible, right? The work is invisible. It can't be appreciated if they don't even get it. So you made this list of the we'll call it the stuff I do list. And you thought it would be cathartic. And it was, but it wasn't enough. Can you tell us a little bit about why that didn't work the way you thought it might? I really had this aha moment that maybe Seth wasn't valuing all I did in the home because he didn't see it. And what if we make the invisible visible? Because visibility, in my mind, equals value. So because visibility equals value, I decided to write down every single thing I did with my time that took more than two or three minutes. And you really broke it down, right? Like a birthday party has 18 subtasks. It isn't just by the cake. Exactly. So other kids' birthday celebrations... I wrote that down. And then what do you do for another kid's birthday celebration? Well, you have to RSVP. That took more than two minutes. You have to purchase a gift that can take up to 30 minutes. Write a card if you feel up for it. Another five minutes. Get arranged transportation to the birthday party. Three minutes. Get them to the birthday party. Five minutes. Stay at the birthday party if they're young. An hour or two, right? So it starts building. And that's what happened. It was an Excel spreadsheet. And there was tabs at the bottom. And by the end, after sourcing it with hundreds of women across this country, the list had gone viral from friends to friends of friends to friends of friends. And finally, at the end, and this took almost a year, there was over a thousand items of invisible work on this list and 98 tabs. And so I decide I'm so proud of this spreadsheet, Amy. I'm so proud of it that I finally decide and get the courage to send it off to Seth, to my husband. And I send the 17,000 megabyte spreadsheet to him with a big all caps subject line that says, can't wait to discuss. And his response came through a little bit while later. And I didn't even get the courtesy of the three monkey trio emojis. I just got one monkey, that sad monkey that's covering its eyes. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Like sort of yikes and 
not, wow, we need a new system in place. (laughs) Definitely not that. But yes, I don't want to see of this. Maybe let's keep it invisible in a way. It felt really deflating at the time. And I kept thinking, you know, am I going to just be resigned to, you know, being the she fault parent, as I call that, and not living sort of the career and marriage combo that I thought I would have? You could wallow. And, you know, a lot of books up to that point had said, make lists. And so I made the epic list and it didn't work. And then I realized lists alone don't work, but systems do. And I'm somebody who creates systems for a living and fair play, which is the result of a long journey is working. So the fair play system, and it is a specific system, which I love. You're right. Like we're not stuck in the self-righteous rage that we do all of this, which we're not wrong to feel that, but if we want to change it, we need a system. And you talk in your book about the conceive, plan, execute. Yes. Yes. Way to manage projects. Can you talk about that and why that's different than saying, look how much I do? So what I like to say is that everything you need to know about fair play, you can learn from mustard. (laughs) Okay. And this is what I mean. When you notice that your son Johnny likes yellow mustard, French's yellow mustard at the picnic, and then you think to yourself, hmm, I want him to have that yellow mustard because it's how he eats his protein on his hot dog. That's what I call conception. Then you write down mustard on your grocery list alongside with everything else you need for the market, for all your weeknight meals. That's what I call planning. Then someone has to actually get their butt to the store to purchase the mustard. That's execution. That's where men step in, and that's a problem. And it's a problem for men as well as women, because what happens is men want to help, and so they go to the store for the mustard. But inevitably, because they have no context, they bring home the spicy Dijon that they like And they don't buy the French's yellow. And then women all over the country are crying to me saying, I can't even trust my husband to bring home the right type of mustard. How am I going to trust him to make a living will for us? (laughs) And all of a sudden we go down this trust fall where things are, you know, sort of devolving very quickly into um, bigger patterns. Because obviously it's not about the blueberries. It's not about the wrong type of mustard. It's not about the stuff my husband doesn't pick up on the floor. At the end of the day, it comes down to values and expectations. So what I like to say is when you can sit down and you can talk about groceries, the full card and what's entailed and what you'd like to bring home and why you're getting the French's yellow mustard, it may take a long time. The first conversation, it saves you hours and hours of time when one person's handles the full mustard situation, the full conception, planning, and execution. And that's what Fair Play is about. It's a hundred card game that represents every single task for your home and family. And I ask that when you hold a card, you hold it with full CPE, with full ownership. And that's what one card is changing the game. Even if one spouse takes a full card with full ownership, that can change the game does not have to be 50-50. And I imagine in the short term, you probably have to accept that if the maternal gatekeeping that we can do is part of the problem also, right? That they finally do a task and like, well, that's not how she likes your sandwich cut. You can't cut it like that. And they're like, well, how am I supposed to know? I'm going to give up. That we in the short term of these new systems have to accept that maybe the 
mustard isn't going to be bought exactly the way we think the mustard should be bought. But the whole point is we're handing over the conceiving and planning part. Yes, but I don't think women need to expect spicy Dijon mustard. Mm -hmm. They can expect to get French's yellow when they give context. Because what I talk about in the book, I have a full chapter on this. The entire American tort system is based on a concept called the reasonable person standard. And what it means is what does a reasonable person do? So I ask couples to set their values and standards first before you enter the system. And that means having some really important conversations over what you value and the standards in which you want to do things. I'll give you an example. Garbage. My husband and I had a 30-minute conversation over garbage because, yes, I wanted him to fully own garbage. And by owning garbage, that meant putting the bag back in the liner. <laughs> yes. That meant taking it out to the alley. Don't just put it by the door. Yep. Yes, right? To do all the garbage components that you think would need to get done. That's ownership. But the standards, like you said, I'm not going to lower my standards and say garbage never has to go out because men have low standards and women have high standards. I never found that. I found that when you can talk about a reasonable standard that works for both of you, things change. And sometimes, like I said, these conversations can take 20 minutes to talk about garbage, but then they save you lifetimes of headaches. And my husband and I sat down and I said, you lived in a fraternity where you were fine living, you know, having pizza boxes. You said to me when you were in college, you lived with 20 to 30 pizza boxes in your room alone. And I said to my husband, I grew up in a household with a single mother where I became an organizational management specialist because everything was so disorganized. And that included trash on the floor, that included dishes piling up, that I kept, you know, trying to empty the sink over and over again for my mother. And garbage triggers me. It triggers me because it reminds me of how I grew up. And I really believe and value a tidy home. It makes my brain thrive. And so my husband looked at me and said, I totally get that but I don't want to be nagged. When are you taking out the garbage? Don't put the garbage liner on my pillow. Just tell me, when should we talk about the garbage going out? And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, how about I put it in my calendar that it goes out every night at 7 p.m.? And it did. And it's still going out every night at 7 p.m. Yeah. And you've removed the step of you reminding him to do it. That's where I'm stuck right now, Eve. That's what I have to, I have to implement some of this stuff. Yes. The reminding is it comes with a lack of context. And we wouldn't do that to any of our employees. We would never treat the home the way we treat the workplace. We would never treat the home the way we treat anything. Even my Aunt Marianne's Mahjong group has clearly defined expectations. You don't bring snack twice and you're out. But the home, we have no rigor. We don't treat it with any respect. And so what ends up happening is that the women become the she-fault parent and men feel nagged. The number one thing men said to me in my hundreds of interviews with them was that nagging was the number one thing they hated about home life. And of course, it's the number one thing we hate about home life, too. That's where we're stuck, though. Right. Eve, thank you so much for talking to us. Eve Rodsky's new book is Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. Eve, tell us where we can find you on the internet and in your book. Yes, please go to www.fairplaylife.com and you'll find everything about the book, including cards if you want to play the system once you give us your email after you buy the book. Awesome. Eve, thanks for talking to us today. 
And now, things people say to moms versus things they say to dads. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. You changed a diaper, mom. People will say... You should really consider cloth. I mean, if you care about the earth, I mean, you do care about the earth, right? You changed a diaper, dad. People will say... A dad who changes diapers? Hallelujah! You probably babysit the kids when your wife needs a night out, too. What an angel. You spent a day playing catch with your son, Mom. People will say... You know, he should really be diversifying his sports experiences at this age. You should play soccer with him, too. You participated in a tea party with your daughter, Dad. People will say... I posted it on Instagram and you got 20,000 likes. I do not use this word lightly. You, sir, are a hero. A hero. You cooked dinner, Mom. People will say... It smells like barf. I'm not eating it. You cooked dinner, Dad. People will say... I love a man who cooks. A little burnt who cares. You tried, and that's what really counts. You styled your daughter's hair, Mom. People will say... Oh, that's cute. You know, you can do more elaborate braids with just a few tutorials on YouTube. I'll send you some links. You styled your daughter's hair, Dad. People will say... You did her hair? Oh my God, that is literally the sweetest thing I have ever seen. I love how it's just a little crooked. Oh, that makes it look amazing. Close up the Dad Awards for the season, folks. We have a winner. This has been Things People Say to Moms versus Things They Say to Dads. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. I like that interview, Amy. Lots of good information. Lots of good information. The blueberries thing, like, come on, people. We've all been there. What I really liked, what she said in the interview, what really stuck with me is... When I was asking her, I'm like, okay, and you have to expect once you hand the tasks over that it's not going to be done the way you want them, but stop gatekeeping, mom. And she was like, no, you can have standards. You can expect the right mustard. That was kind of news to me. I think that's really true. And I think this is the distinction that I was kind of looking for in the first section when we were talking about this. You can't control everything about how it's done. Like the project for Secret Santa, she didn't control how it turned out, but... She explained the expectations around it. And so she got the right mustard. And that's the differential that I think we haven't talked about before. That's very interesting. Like you can say, do this however you want, do whatever you want, do it on whatever timing, but here's the time it's due and it needs to be the right kind of mustard. And then from there, you can get out of it. And I think the problem is like, we set up this choice. That's like, either I do it. Or he does it and it turns out wrong. And like, that's not a fair expectation for either one of you. And so I will say to give hope to the masses, this is something that I feel like my husband and I have made a tremendous amount of progress on. This thing of like, I loved it when she said a reasonable person standard, like that really resonated with me too. Like what could a reasonable person be expected to do? And I think sometimes I would come at my husband with the kind of like, hey, idiot, comma, regarding this. And to go back to Aunt Terry, you cannot get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. Like, I don't think my husband will ever be someone who keeps a birthday calendar and plans out a month ahead the special thing he's going to get for everyone in his life. But I can say, like, my expectation is that you're in charge of this and the consequences for it are yours, and I'm backing away from that. And so, like, that may mean that, like, 
Some people don't get gifts correctly. Like that's not my problem anymore. But when it comes to Boy Scouts, he has to meet these expectations. He has to have X many merit badges by the end of the year. That is the mustard. You have to get that done. How you do it is up to you. And then that may involve me checking in once a week. And one thing my husband and I have done is we have put next to our family calendar a his tasks, her tasks list. And so we see it every single day. So his is like Boy Scout merit badges. One thing on his list right now is like go through and make sure that we're not making payments to like crazy things we joined, like jib jab because we might want to make a Christmas card six years ago. Like that's on your list. And so like we put every single thing on the his and hers list and then we cross them out as we go and we make a new one. You are making it visible. I'm literally making it visible. And I did this before I even read this book, but I think that like, it just, what do you want to take out of the equation? Nagging. What do you want to add to the equation? Both of you actually getting stuff done. Something I've learned from this is that I do think that my spouse has the idea that there is this secret fount of knowledge that I draw from because this is easier for me. Like, I think he also buys into that. So he was at Whole Foods on Saturday and, you know, weekend dinners are like a particular drag, I think, because everybody's sort of around and cranky and like, oh, like dinner, really? <laughs> you guys want dinner tonight also? It's just a drag. And he went to the gym and then he went to get himself a salad at Whole Foods because my husband eats in a very healthy way and he has very much taken that off my list. That's great. I don't have to know about it, but definitely feeding the kids has been on my list, right? So I don't know. He read the tea leaves and he texted me, I'm at Whole Foods. Should I get something? I'm like, yeah, get stuff for everybody for dinner. And he wrote back, like what? And then Amy's head exploded. <laughs> and then I threw the phone. Yeah, no, I mean, I was like, my first reaction was fury, yes. But then my second reaction is like, he really thinks that this is easy for me, right? And then I'm gonna be like, well, on Saturdays, we have Spanish rice with a light salad. and. He really thinks that I, you know, have access to something that he doesn't. So I wrote back, I'm like, walk around, see what looks good, get enough for the five of us. Like, no shrimp. One of my kids is allergic to shellfish. Like, don't get shellfish. Figure it out. Get what looks good. And he did. And then he came home and he heated it up and he was in charge of dinner. And that's not so usual in my house. But it was, I realized in that, like, okay, I'm not going to micromanage this, but he kind of thinks I'm supposed to, like, he just doesn't want to screw it up. Like, tell me what to get so I don't get the wrong thing. Well, that's a good point too. Like, I think it's like, we've talked about with the kids too. Like you kind of become sometimes to your kids, just like a wall of noise. Like get your shoes and get that back. And it's like, mom's always yelling and crazy. You know, that story, like, comes out with your kids and comes out with your husband too. Like I try, but then I'm always in trouble, you know? And it's like, okay, well, if I think that idea of like, here's what we both need to do and like you go figure it out and then taking yourself out of it to the point, because I definitely do this with my husband. We were making, it was my son's birthday party this weekend and I was under the weather. And so my husband was like, I'll, make the cupcakes for the party, which he did. I mean, out of the box, you know, he wasn't, you know, making them from scratch, but neither do I. It was just like, put the box mixed together, put it in the oven. And then I came in and he was baking the cupcakes at 325. And I was like, what in the world are you doing, you monster? And he's like, well, the box says dark pans 325 for longer. And I was like, 
about to just be like, that's not how I did. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like the cupcakes turned out fine, but it is hard to, both things are hard. Like it's hard to relinquish control too. Like, yes, I think that you're totally within your rights to expect things to be done a certain way. But at the same time, if you bang your head against the door of like, I'm going to get this done exactly the way I would have done it, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Right. And crazy making. But also don't buy the like, oh, I don't know how to load the dishwasher. I'm just bad at it. So I guess I don't have to do it anymore. Like just load it badly. Fine. Do two loads if that's what you want to do. But yeah, you know, you don't get to hand the card back to me that easily. Yeah. Like you have to take it all the way. I liked the point that Eve made in this book about what she calls the daily grind tasks versus other tasks. So like the daily grind tasks, it's obvious, but it's the bathing it's the dinner, it's the breakfast, it's the helping with homework, right? Like every single day, these things happen. And then there's more of the once in a while stuff, like the taxes and the raking the leaves and the rotating the tires and getting the Christmas decorations out. And we do tend to think of those as more the male job. And I always thought it was, and she's like, that's why they got to be the male thing, because they're once in a while, they're on your time, they're when you can get to them. So, you know, make sure that when you're dividing your workload, you don't have all the daily grinds are the moms and all the sooner or later he'll get to it are the dads. And I think we do kind of break it down that way. Yeah. I feel like this is something that I have really worked hard on in my marriage and like seen some really good results from and the whole like, what is it? Conceive, plan, execute, right? Like that whole dynamic is so, that's a great way to say it. Like Boy Scouts, you conceive, plan and execute, be done. And then I've said this before, but like my husband is nutty professorish, but he has found setting alarms on his phone to be like the key to his existence. And I don't care if it's like, hey, you know, our neighbor is her husband's sick, so I need you to check in on our neighbor. Set an alarm to do that every Tuesday. Like, I don't care how you get there. But like we were saying in the like supporting your kids, like, Building a scaffolding for him has been helpful. Like, hey, here's the thing. Let's not go to bed before the kitchen is clean. So like, that's one of his tasks. He cleans the kitchen. So like, he starts doing it every night, you know? And I kind of need this kind of help too. So I think it's maybe a little bit easier for us because I am also crazy and disorganized. So like, we end up helping each other a lot. Like, I think you're extremely organized. And so you have a little bit more of the problem of like, you're running the show and like your minions are failing you. Like we are both like just totally like whirling dervishes who are just trying to stay alive. But I was out of town last week and I went to pick my daughter up at school on Friday after getting back. And I realized like my husband did not ever brush her hair from Monday to Friday. And I picked her up at school and like her hair looked like something out of a cartoon. Like it was like, matted with like greasy curls, so curly, fine hair. And I just kind of laughed and I was like, just FYI, I've been out of town, which is like an excuse for her hair. And I was like, oh, she looks adorable. Ha ha ha. The other thing is like, I think of so much, who is it, Amy? The person who you quote, who's like the number system? Oh, it was Nick North. Epic danger on Instagram. Nick North, the thing of like, and I goofed on it when you said it, I totally goofed on it when you talked about it because I was like, I'm never doing this with my husband, but it comes up once a week. Like before school, brush the kid's hair. It's like a two on a scale of one to 10 to me. Like if that doesn't get done, we'll live. 
before school, the sixth grader has to brush his teeth. Otherwise, he's like wreaking his bad breath at people all day. That's like a nine. That has to happen before he can leave for school. I think some of this is also the thing of like, how important is each one of these things? Because if everything's a 10 all the time, then your husband just feels like, I can't do anything. Right. Oh my God. I can't do anything right. I can't do anything right. So I won't do anything. Well, that's right. And so it was, I think because of this book that when he texted me, like, what am I supposed to get for dinner that I didn't, you know, immediately engage with, like, let me look up a recipe and I'll text him a picture and right. Like conceive, plan, execute. I don't know, like figure it out. And then, but then yeah, implicit in that is like, and I won't be like, why'd you buy this? I mean, what he bought was fine. Like it was good. It was delicious. He turned the oven on, like it was a home run, but I do think he thinks there's a right and wrong answer. And I say to my husband sometimes, because I always joke that my husband is like classic, like a student, like he's always like, did I do it correctly? And I'm like, there's no right answer about like what's for dinner on Tuesday. But I have set up the dynamic where there's a right answer. And I have set up the dynamic where there's a right way to make cupcakes. And so at the end of the day, I want yellow mustard. And then I have to be happy when I get the yellow mustard. I don't have to be happy when I get the wrong mustard. I can say like, listen, fail. What did you say? You get zero, zero points. Like that's zero points. If you bring home, you know, Dijon when I want a yellow, zero points. But when the yellow mustard comes home, like boy, you did it. You could do it again. Right. I said to my spouse in front of our kids, let's all thank dad. He went and got dinner and he heated it up and, you know, like, and this was really good. Thanks. Which, of course, like part of me is like, well, nobody thanks me for the time I do it. You know, like you had that little monologue. That is my internal monologue, right? Like right. if we're really going to get into the thank you contest, I'm owed a few. But the point is change, right? And that is a small gesture on my part to be genuinely grateful, which I was. I was so I hate figuring out what's for dinner. You know, I hate it. I hate dealing. And so I was very glad that he took it over. And I think it's good to take the point of view and remember, because this to me is like what's missing still in my equation of this. It's really hard. This weekend, we had such a hard weekend. We were going in too many different directions. We had a child's birthday party. I was sick, so I couldn't do, I usually run that show. That's usually my conceive, plan, execute. And the birthday party was extremely high maintenance. And my husband and I were like splitting up the tasks and it still went pretty poorly. And like, there was a lot of hard parts of it. And he was managing some of the kids and I was managing some of the kids. And we just were having a really hard day. And at the end of the day, we were just laying in bed and just laughing about like, how is this our lives? This is a horror show, you know? And I feel like half the time, we get in bed and I just like pour bitter recriminations on him about like how it could have gone better if he had done his part better. And like, it's hard. There's a reason why it's hard. No one feels like making dinner. My husband doesn't feel like going to a stressful job all day and then dealing with kids when they come home. Like not to discount any of the work involved in this, but I think if you can put scaffoldings in to help each other out and then be open to the fact that like everyone is having a hard time with this, it will help the big picture. I think you solved it. <laughs> totally solved it. I mean, you're right. It's about rebalancing. Rebalancing is good for both of you. Approach this honestly and say like, this could be better. And it is better for our spouses too. And I think we can convince them of that 
one day at a time. <laughs> well, I think that was a really interesting point too. Like, this is what we say all the time about kids, right? Like, this seems like more work, but it's actually better. Like, playing with your kids for half an hour in a day, like, it seems like more work, but if you do it, it, it give, buys you more time later. But all of this stuff, like, it seems like a lot of work to be like, this is a seven and this is a one. Like, it seems annoying, but it's small fixes and scaffolding that make the whole engine run better. And that's going to pay off in the long run. Solved it, Amy. Solved it. This was a helpful conversation for me. We'll talk about it in another 100 episodes. We'll see how it's going. Yes, we will revisit it 100. This one is an ongoing conversation. And speaking of ongoing conversations, guys, we want you to come to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash What Fresh Hellcast. And we're also on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast. We're on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And as always, we have a website, whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. Before we go, I want to make sure to give another shout out to Eve Brodsky. And her new book is called Fair Play, A Game-Changing Solution for When You Have Too Much to Do and More Life to Live. I really do recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Check it out, guys, and we'll talk to you next week.